0: This morning, I want to talk about Christmas. Wow, what a a novel thing to talk about done two days before Christmas, right? But I want to talk about Christmas, and I want to talk about it this morning from the perspective of what Christmas really means. I know we've had lots of Christmas messages over the years, and how many different ways can you talk about Christmas? How many different ways can you talk, can you tell the Christmas story? How many different things can you say about it? Well, it doesn't. you can say the same thing over and over again because it's such a good story. But I want to talk this morning about what it means to know Jesus, as we've been talking about for the past number of weeks, what it means to know Jesus in the form of a gift. Because that's exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is a gift to all mankind. And he came on Christmas morning. And, and the significance of this gift is that it's a personal gift, meaning it's just for you. Jesus came just for you in the way that you need him to come. Amen? He doesn't come, he doesn't come difficult for you to receive. He comes very personal. He comes something that, that you can receive. And you know what's interesting about, about people is that we like to receive gifts, don't we? Anybody here not like to receive a gift? All right, so you all do, because nobody raised a hand, all right? So you, everyone likes to receive gifts. And at the same time, we like to uh, give gifts. And, and it's important, I think, that we realize this, because, you know, all of cultures, um, in every culture of the world, there's always gift giving. Do you realize that? There's always a form of, of giving and receiving gifts. I don't care if you're in America or if you're in Tibet or if you're in Nepal or wherever you are around the world – there's always gift-giving. Now, what that tells me is that it's something that God created us to do. And it also tells me that there must be a lot of gift-giving in the Trinity, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They must have been giving gifts to each other for all eternity because they created us in their image. And in their image, we like to receive gifts. We like to receive, and we like to give gifts. In fact, the Word tells us in Acts 20, verse 35, that in all honesty, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think what's important about this, this, this scripture here is that it's instructing us that it's important that we give, as much as we like to receive, that we give more as a way of keeping ourselves from being, becoming selfish and self-centered. And when a person becomes so inwardly focused that everything's about them or their needs, then they're really moving out of the way God formed them. Because God formed us to be givers as much as receivers. And if we focus on ourselves all the time, then we're really becoming outside of the way that God created us and we're becoming more a part of the fall of man than the creation that God made us to be because we are givers and we are receivers, but it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so when we find ourselves spinning in that circle of give me, 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 understand then you are not really operating into the way that God created you to, to be. Because God really made us to be givers as much as receivers. And everything we see about God through the life of Jesus proves that in the life of Christ. Jesus was a giver. Amen? He gave consistently all the time, and he received very little in return from people. People didn't give Jesus a lot. Now, his father restored him con- constantly. His father was constantly feeding into the life of Jesus. But Jesus was a giver, and he constantly gave. And we are instructed, then, that we also need to be in the life of Christ. And we need to make sure that our focus is in the right focus. And that we need to know that our, our, our direction or our, our sustenance doesn't come from within ourselves. But it comes from keeping our eyes on Jesus and keeping our eyes focused heavenward. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. As we seek Christ first, as we put him first in our life, then he will give us all the other things that come to us that we need to have as we seek him and his righteousness. I think that's the part that most people forget. We seek Christ, and he will give us all of our desires. No, we see Christ and his righteousness, meaning his holiness, his holy living, his perspective of life. And that Christ is constantly wanting to give. So, with that said, where are we today here in 2012? We are at Christmas time again. And I am so excited about what Jesus has in store for us because as Christ gave the gift, the gift that he gave us is always giving. It's, it's not a one-time gift. So as I look forward to 2013, I see Jesus giving me even more gifts through 2013. I am very thankful for everything he's given me up to this point in time in my life, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what God has in store for us, just the beginning of what he has in store for you. He has got so much more that we can live out. So what does that mean to us today? What is the gift? We talked about Christ being the gift. What is the gift? And I know that we've decorated our our sanctuary here with a lot of gifts. My wife did this a few weeks ago. She did a beautiful job, didn't she? But the gift of Jesus is a gift that he gave 2,000 years ago or so. And it's a gift, all right? That's Jesus right there. It's a gift. It's wrapped up very nicely, very neatly. It's a gift. And I want to talk today... And spend more time to understand what that gift really is. What does that gift really mean for us? What does it really mean for you? The past few weeks we've, been, we've spoke on the majesty of God, how big God is, how awesome he is. Remember that a couple Sundays ago we talked about the, that the fact that he, he holds the, the universe in the span of his hand. All the heavens are in the span. He measures them in the span of his hand. And we talked about how huge and undescribably huge the universe is. And that God holds the, the, all the waters of the world in the a, in a cup of his hand, in the hollow of his hand. you know. And, and so we just we focused for that few minutes there of that service making sure that we all could grasp the best that we can in our infinite, little, our, our infinite little mind how big God is, all right? And we need to understand God's greatness and his size so that we understand the significance of his, of his gift. Because, see, he created us to be a fellowshiper with him. He created us to be a worshiper of him. He created us to be someone that could share in the glory of the Trinity with him different than any other thing he created, he created us to be like him. And he did a great job with it. He did a perfect job with it. He was very happy when he saw Adam and Eve and when he created them, he was pleased with the creation. But yet, we blew it. We blew it. Mankind rebelled against God. Mankind took All that God had given us and even I don't know if Adam and Eve recognized how big God was I don't know if they recognized um, his grandeur the way that we are told about it in scripture today I don't know that but they in their moment of selfishness their moment of putting them at the center of their life they blew it and They took what God had created perfectly and they stained it and they sinned and therefore death came into the world Death degradation decline all of the bad words that would show us that we are we are dying and that we have no hope And the creator here that that fashioned them and us perfectly His heart was broken i got to imagine that God's heart was broken that day that he walked down in the garden where he was going down intending to walk in the garden, walk in the cool of the day, of the day again with Adam and Eve and talk to them and educate them and keep teaching them and keep spending time with them. i got to imagine even then that God's heart was broken. And I think it's important that we recognize that so that we can see that the importance and the significance of the gift now that Jesus gave today. Because now we fast forward a a, a number of hundreds of years and and God then brings back a gift. And the gift that he brings to Jesus is a gift to all mankind called the gift of the second chance. He comes in and he says, you know, I love you so much. I want to give you a gift. And I I want to bring you back into union with me. I want to bring you back into right relationship with me and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he's doing that through Jesus, the Son. Yet do we really understand the significance, do we understand the value of the of the gift? Do we have any understanding clearly what it meant for Jesus to leave heaven? And what it really meant for him? The value, see the value of the gift is all based upon the sacrifice of the gift. If I gave you a gift that didn't mean anything to me, basically I'm giving you my junk for you to take care of. <laughs> the value of the gift is all based upon what goes into the gift. The sacrifice of the gift becomes creates the value of the gift. Now how much, how much do you think heaven sacrificed in the gift of Jesus. Mark chapter 15, 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, and in, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sapakathane, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand the value of the gift when Jesus hung on the cross? And he cried out, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand, up to this point in time, the Trinity had never been upset. They had never been un- without each other's companionship. They had never been without each other's true love and sacrifice, and they could love each other wholly. And all of a sudden now, this creation that God created perfectly, God sends his Son. And it wasn't the pain that God looked at. Yes, it was painful for Jesus. The cross was messy. Understand how messy the cross was. But what really upset the Trinity was the blackness and the ugliness of my sin that was laid on Jesus that day. And when God, in all his perfectness and all his unity and all of his, his greatness, and he says, I cannot look upon sin. I cannot deal with sin in myself. And when Jesus bore the sin of you and I on him, God had to turn around. For the first time in all eternity, God and Jesus did not have unity. They did not have fellowship. That's what broke the heart of Jesus. That's what killed him. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the loss of blood because in all of God's power and authority, he could have lived without blood. Jesus didn't need to have blood in his body to live. He was, he was the God that created himself. What killed him when he willfully gave up his life was the fact that his heart was broken because his father turned his back. Now, that's a sacrifice. How much is the gift of Jesus worth to have that happen? See, that's the significance of the gift. We want to make gifts, we want to make them so pretty. We want to make them so neat and so tidy and so beautiful. And this is a beautiful little gift, and we put them under the tree, and and we do all the nice things with the gifts, and we protect our gifts. We don't want anything to happen to the gift. We protect it. But that's not what God did. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 2 through 12. This was prophesied of what would that, what that what would happen to the gift of Jesus it says he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we considered him stricken by god smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken he was assigned to a grave with the wicked and with the rich in in his death though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and through all and through the Lord and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand God did not handle his gift gently. God allowed his gift, which was the sacrifice for all of our sin, to be crushed and destroyed and humiliated before his creation. I'm just trying to get us all to understand the significance and the value of the gift of Jesus and how how much that means and how much that meant to heaven. It's more blessed to give Than to receive, and God here is the giver. But let's look at the other side of the gift-giving process. Let's look at the side of receiving for a few minutes. See, up to this point in time, maybe you haven't really associated too much with this message because this was all Adam and Eve's fault. Maybe you're saying, you know what, if I was in Adam and Eve situation, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in because I never would have eaten the apple. I was in paradise. I had no problems. Why in the world? I wouldn't have done it. So therefore, maybe you don't associate this much yet with the fact that that Adam and Eve sinned, but maybe you wouldn't have if you would have been in that position. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what you would have done? Well, let me tell you, I don't know that any of us could righteously stand here and say that we wouldn't have done what Adam and Eve did. Because I'm thinking that we're doing it all the time already. I'm thinking that I've already done it. (laughs) I'm thinking that I've already turned my back on God. I'm thinking that I've already betrayed Him. So the gift-giving process isn't completed until the gift is either received or rejected. The gift-giving process isn't completed until the gift is either received or rejected. The question I have for us today is, where are we today? Where am I? Where are you with the giving and the receiving of this gift? See, Jesus completed his end of it. Jesus completed the process of giving John chapter 19, verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus completed his work. He completed the mission. There was nothing left. He didn't leave any loose ends for us to figure out and to fix. He completed the process And the fact here is that the the gift that Jesus completed is truly the gift that keeps on giving. It's not a one-time gift. It keeps on giving. Acts chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness to the sins of Israel. So what Jesus did on that cross and the life that he gave and that he came back to life was not a one-time deal. And He, through that, then he gives us repentance and he gives us forgiveness of our sins. But yet, what do we do with the gift? That's why that gift can be called the gift of a second chance. Because when we turned away, when Adam and Eve turned away from God, they were hopeless. They had no way to recover. Jesus comes back into the scene. He comes back in as the baby. He, he comes back in, and, and, and God, God prepares him for the sacrifice. And then he comes in, and he is, our second, he is our second chance. But this is also where the enemy fights us. This is where I think that I can't put Adam and Eve any different than me or me any different than Adam and Eve, because this is where I blow it. Because the enemy is strong, and the enemy is is coming to steal the gift that Jesus gave. He tried to stop it then, and he hasn't stopped since. He's still trying to steal the gift. The enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar. He comes in to steal and destroy the gift of second chance from people. He stole the gift from Adam and Eve of eternal life from them. And ever since that's been his business to continue to try to steal the gift. And how does Satan do that today? How does he how does he come in and try to take your gift? Well, he does it through our thoughts, mainly. He comes through and, and our attitudes. He comes in and he says, Well, he he comes in by making you feel that, that and I, that I maybe you and I don't feel like we need God's gift. We're not that bad. We didn't do what Adam and Eve did. We didn't make that sin. That's not my problem. I'm a good person. I don't need God's gift. And then maybe he takes the value out of it. He takes the value of what Jesus did out of it. And he reduces it down to a, to a one-time receiving process, maybe for some of us. Maybe we say, well, I, I, I asked Jesus into my life when I was 12 years old. And that was the only time I've really thought of them since, but I, I have it. And, and so, therefore, I don't really need to develop a more relationship. See, the devil comes in and he, he always tries to devalue God's gift. And he gives us many false religions and false ideas. And he gives us all kinds of things that would come in that would, that would take us partially down the path, but we would never quite finish it. If the devil had his way... He would do is exactly what's told to, us, told to us in Colossians chapter two, verses six through ten. Paul's talking to those in Colossae, and he says this. He says, "So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy." which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, let's stop here just for a second. Does that remind you at all about what the Christmas season is in this world? Does this remind you at all about what Christmas has been, has been reduced down to? Over-commercialization, it's all about eating and drinking and having friends, big parties, giving gifts. See, that's the way the devil wants to come in and devalue the, the true gift of what Jesus is. He devalues what Jesus gave in his life. He devalues what heaven gave up. And he, he, he replaces it with hollow and deceptive philosophies that say, let's just make Xmas a party time. Let's make Xmas all about family. Good thing to do. Good thing to have family time, good thing for gifts, not a problem. But he devalues the sacrifice of Christ by even taking Christ out of the word. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and every authority. Satan's strategy is to captivate people with these hollow philosophies. It sounds so good to the ear. And it's something that, see, imagination, God gave us imagination when he created us, which is a good thing. It allows Brittany to write songs. It allows somebody else to write good literature. It, 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 the imagination that God gave us is a good thing. But here's the problem. This is what the enemy does when he gets involved with something that God created for good. He twists imagination around so that now my imagination can be so good that I can deceive myself with my own imagination. That's where deceptive, hollow philosophies come from. Imagination gone bad. That's what it is. When my imagination becomes so good that now I can take a look at what I've done that has been so bad... And I can twist it around, and I can justify myself with the, with my own imagination the god given gift of imagination that God gave me it becomes my worst enemy because now I justify myself in my own imaginations that 's where these hollow philosophies come from that 's where that 's where these false religions come from. That's why you need and I need to stay grounded in the Word of God so that my imagination doesn't run wild and go bad on me, that I'm constantly going back to God's Word, and I'm hearing the truth of God's Word, whether I like it or not. I'm living by the truth of God's Word, not my own hollow imaginations that lead to deception. And that's what the enemy plays in all the time. So don't ever reduce yourself to living by your own philosophies, your own ideas. I don't care how good they sound to you. If it's not based on the word of God, if it's not based on biblical scriptures, then it's a hollow, deceptive philosophy. It's a product of your imagination gone bad. It's a product of you allowing the devil to come in and allow deception to reign in your life. And what that does is it insults the grace of God. And it takes this gift right here that Jesus gave to us, and it just devalues it. It makes it worth nothing. So where does that leave us this morning? Well, the gift of the second chance here is a question of the season and the hour that we live in. And I guess the question that I would ask is, have you received it, and are you living in it? Are you, have you received it, or are you living in it? And how do you know that? How do you know? How do you know clearly if you've received the gift? Yeah, the Bible tells you that if you ask and believe, God forgives and Jesus forgives, and and clearly that is true. But there are some other things in our life that I think uh, will tell us if we've received the gift or not received the gift and how we're using the gift. And am I a giver or am I a receiver? In this book by David Platt called Radical, let me read something that David Platt challenges us with as being a giver or a receiver. He says, I often ask members of our church if they are receivers or reproducers. Reproducer is giver, okay? Reproducer, giver, of God's Word. Let me illustrate the difference. Imagine being in Sudan. You walk into a thatched hut with a small group of um, Sudanese church leaders and you sit down to teach them God's Word. As soon as you start, you lose eye contact all you lose eye contact with all of them. No one is looking at you, and you hardly see their eyes the rest of the time. The reason is because they're writing down every word you say. They, came up, they come up to you afterward and say, Teacher, we are going to take everything we have learned from God's word, translate it into our languages, and teach it in our tribes. They were not listening to receive, but to reproduce. They were listening to give. Now, journey with me to a contemporary worship service in the United States. Some people have their Bibles open, while others don't have a Bible with them. A few people are taking notes, but for the most part, they are passively sitting in the audience. While some are probably disengaged, others are intently focused on what the preacher is saying, listening to God's Word to hear how it applies to their lives. But the reality is few are listening to reproduce. We are by nature receivers. Even if we have a desire to learn God's word, we still listen from a default self-centered mindset that is always asking, what can I get out of this? But as we have seen, this is unbiblical Christianity. What if we change the question whenever we gather to learn God's word? What if we began to think, how can I listen to his word so that I am equipped to teach others, to, to teach this word to others? This changes everything. All of a sudden, the pen and the paper come out. Note-taking is, note-taking is not the measure of how committed we are to make disciples, but if we are hearing God's word taught in order to teach others, then we want to get it down as best we can. When we realize we have the responsibility to teach the word, it changes everything about how we hear the word. See, that's the definition of a giver and a receiver. We in the American church are desensitized to what it really means to, me, to to give God's word. We receive it while we're here. We're sitting here receiving it like good receivers, and many times we walk out the door and we leave it. We leave it right here. But are we really taking it so that we can apply it? I think David Platt, I think he did a really good job in giving us that challenge. So where are we then with the value of the gift? Are you Is it wasted? See, if, if I don't open this gift, if I leave this gift sitting here and say, yeah, that's the gift of Jesus. And if I walk away, I might even carry this gift around. But if I don't open this gift up, if I don't open it up, it's of no value. How do you open it up? Well, you, you ask. You open it. You ask Jesus to come in your heart. You ask him to come in your life. You say, Jesus, I need you to be a part of my life. I need you not to be a part. I need you to be the center point of my life. I need you to be the absolute center of my life. So for some of us this morning, you said, yes, I've, I've opened it. And I've received it, but, but I don't like some of the instructions that came along with it. So I've rewritten some of them so that I can use it in the way that I want to use it. Okay? Because there are instructions that come with this gift, by the way. That's the Word of God. And some of us have received it, but saying well, but I really don't like all the instructions, so I've rewritten it. Now, let me lovingly challenge you with that and say, you better throw that away. Okay? If you're not reading God's Word and applying it, God's Word, then you might as well take your instructions and move on. Because th- your instructions aren't going to allow you to properly use this gift. Maybe others, you, maybe you've opened it and accepted it a long time ago and really haven't felt the need to read the instructions in any great detail. Maybe you've read it just enough so that others think you know it. Folks, we need to read the instructions. If we're going to use this gift, we need to know what the instructions are to go along with this gift. And how do you know that? You read the Bible. And maybe there's some in here that have just peeked in and said, I don't like it at all, and I haven't received it, and maybe you've just left it alone. And here's the encouragement part for the, all of us this morning, that we all have time to reconsider our, our, our actions and our decisions. What have I done with this gift? What have you done with this gift? Now is a time. Now is a time to Ask. How would, you know? how would you know if you are cl- completely received the gift and are using the gift? Here's another thing that you could judge yourself with. And I would encourage us all to examine ourselves and judge ourselves about how we've used the gift. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 17 says, If you love me, this is Jesus talking, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All right? That's, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you're going to read my instructions. Let's move on to verses 21 and 24, that same chapter. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. You know, you you can't trip Jesus up. (laughs) There's nothing you can do to get Jesus off what he wants to tell you. He says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come into him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is very clear here, isn't he? Can he be any more direct? If you want to know if you've received the gift of Jesus, then basically ask yourself, am I, am I obeying God's word? Am I living a life of obedience? Or am I living a life by my own set of instructions? That tells you if you've received the gift. That's a good indicator. And what I like about this, too, is that, see, Jesus proclaimed himself as the messenger here of the truth of God's word. He said, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. That gives me even more encouragement to preach hard the word of God because I'm just a messenger just like Jesus is. These are not my ideas. And here's the other thing that's so important that you need to know because you cannot look at men. Do not look at me or any preacher when a preacher preaches about living by the Word of God. See, if if I was preaching the words of the Word of God that only I could do, I would be preaching down a pretty watered down sermon. It's not a it's not I don't preach what I've lived. I preach the truth of God. Now, I have every obligation and I have every right and I have every need to preach it and live it just like you do because I'm in the same boat you're in. You and I are sitting in the same seat. I'm sitting right next to you when I read God's Word because I need to live it just like you do. And I don't preach it because I'm living it and you're not. I'm not putting myself in a position that I can do it and you can't. I'm putting myself with you in the same set of circumstances and say, God, I need you every day so that I can live out the truth of God. And, but I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to say some things that are, that are easier to say because it takes the pressure off me. I'm just God's messenger. I'm just the messenger of God's word. And when God's word says something, I'm going to read it and I'm going to say it and I'm going to try my best to live in it. I'm going to encourage you to do the same and so that together we then can properly receive the gift of God and together we can properly unwrap it and together I can support you and you can support me and then we can go to the community and we can spread the gospel of Jesus in love and mercy and grace not in a sense of perfection not in a sense that I can do it and you can't not in any type of guilt-ridden perception at all just in in, in, in the spirit of grace in the spirit of I need you and you need me and let's do this together but let's not water down the word of God in the process. Let's not simplify it. Let's not make it easier to be than what it really says. So as we conclude this morning, I want to ask some personal questions. What have you done with Jesus, the gift of the second chance? Have you opened it up in your life? and Have you accepted him this morning? Is he truly the center point of your life? Is he truly the center point of my life? You see, when I say that, I'm telling you folks, it is not an easy thing to say because of I know it's not an easy thing to live. But when I put my target and my focus higher, when I aim for heaven, as CS Lewis says, then I may get the world thrown in with me. But if I aim for earth, then I'm not going to get heaven. right? I have to aim for heaven. And when I aim for heaven, when I say, Jesus, I am a sinful man, but I want to receive the gift that you've given me. And I want to unwrap it. And I want to then follow the instructions. And I want to read your word. And I want to study. And I want to make myself approved by you because I want to live my life in all truth and integrity. God, will you help me? Will you help me do that? I'm going to fall, Jesus. I'm going to fall. I'm going to make mistakes. But will you help me? Where's your heart this morning? Would you close your eyes? Where's your heart this morning? Are you asking that? Are you asking that of of your God? God, What are you doing with this gift? What are you doing with Jesus? Psalm 119, verses 1-8. through Keep your eyes closed. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways are steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The word forsake there is the same meaning as Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I don't want to forsake you. I don't want to turn my back on you, Jesus. I don't want to be guilty of that. So, God, my heart is all out for you. My God, my heart is all out for you, Jesus. I just want to do the things that please you. I just want to live for you. I just want to live authentically. I want to live for you with all that I have. And I don't want to leave anything out of my life. God, I want, to just, I want you to come in, Jesus. Would you unwrap the gift in my heart, Jesus? Would you unwrap yourself in me? Can you pray that with me this morning? Can you just in your own way, can you just say, Jesus, wrap, unwrap yourself in my life. Lord, I value your sacrifice. I value the gift that you gave me. And God, I just want to do everything to please you in the midst of that. Oh, Jesus. This morning, as your eyes are closed, if you've prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand and show me that you've prayed that prayer? Not just to me, but to the Lord. Would you just say, Father, that's my prayer. That's my heart's desire. And I'm praying it over and over again. Maybe it's your first time today. Maybe it's your 15th time. Maybe, maybe you've said it every day. But I just encourage you to let yourself, let your imagination run wild with God. Not in the wrong way of deception, but in the way of what it really means to accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus wants to give you. He so badly wants us to open this gift up. He so badly wants us all to take that gift and apply it every day in our life so that we can make a difference in this community, that we can, we can go out and we can minister, that we can receive God's Word not as receivers but as reproducers. I pray in Jesus' name that all of us this morning, myself included, would receive this word, not to receive it for my own benefit necessarily, but that I could reproduce it in the life of others. So when I'm with people tomorrow, when I'm with those in school and my job, that I'm reproducing the love of Jesus in them so that I can share God's passion. When he says, I would have that no man would enter eternity without me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Stand with me if you would, as we sing this song. If, as we sing this song in closing, if you if you prayed this prayer for the first time this morning, or if you prayed it and you want to pray it again, I really want to pray with you down here. I would welcome you to come forward and publicly proclaim that Jesus is the center point of your life, publicly proclaim that you're receiving the gift that he has given you, let's just open up our hearts and receive him this morning. Come down if you want to. I'll pray or just worship him here. Let's just take the time as we sing the song and praise Jesus for what he's done for us. In Jesus' name. Father, we worship you. Lord, I am so excited and I'm so thrilled, Father. My heart is so light this morning, Father, knowing that my heart is right with you. Knowing, Jesus, that I can celebrate this Christmas season with joy and peace. God, knowing that I received the gift and that I'm applying the gift of Jesus in my life on a daily basis. What a blessing that is. What a hope that is. What a promise that is. So, Lord, I pray that you would go with us throughout this day today. God, just bless this church. Bless these people, Lord. You appreciate them. I appreciate them so much. Love them today, Jesus. Give them the fullness of your life. Give them the fullness of your joy and your peace. Bless us today, Father, as we go, as we celebrate this season. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome God. And we recognize you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day today. See you tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen.